It's Friday. Uh, Sunday's coming, but today we're going to just live on Friday. And knowing that it's not the end of the story, I'm going to begin by reading the story. If you would like to follow along, I'm reading from the Gospel of Mark, beginning at verse 16. This is the story of our Lord's trial, suffering, and crucifixion and burial. Mark 15, 16 says, Then the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they closed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. And when they crucified, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put a reed on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There was also a woman looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, 
he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. The word of the Lord. At a Passover meal that Jesus was eating before he was crucified, he spoke these words regarding the bread, familiar words to many of us, I'm sure. This is what he said, recorded by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a few moments, we'll distribute the bread to any and all who possess faith in Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us this morning and don't know what this is all about and don't yet have faith in Christ, you're welcome here. But it's a meal for Christians. It's a meal for believers to enter into through faith in Christ. And so in a few minutes when the bread is distributed, we all know what we'll look like on the outside. We'll all be sitting here with a piece of bread in our hand, waiting to eat together. It's a very peculiar way to eat a meal, isn't it? Well, it's a very special meal, none like any other. But do you ever wonder at that moment when you're sitting there with a piece of bread in your hand and we all look like this on the outside, do you ever wonder at that moment what you should look like on the inside? I've wondered that over the years. What? <laughs> okay, so I've been told and instructed on, on what I'm going to look like on the outside, but what am I supposed to look like on the inside? And I, I think these words are a, such a faithful guide to help us understand that very question. What, what's going on in the heart and the soul of a believer with faith in Christ as we all sit here together holding a piece of bread waiting to eat together? This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hanging on these few words is the path to eat rightly. It's not just all about getting the food in, in your mouth and into your stomach. There's, there's something else that is involved with eating rightly, and it has to do with understanding the words that Jesus spoke when he first introduced the command to eat the bread. I believe that these are words in which God says to us very, very plainly, I love you. I love you. Eat this bread. Do this in remembrance of me. And what should be resounding all through, of us, through us is this, is this idea that I am in the midst of the love of God and this is the particular way in which I am being loved by God. I love you. I think that's exactly what should be going on inside of all of us, a joyful sense of the love of God for sinners, that he would intervene in our judgment and substitute his own son for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Out of love, God has prepared a body for us. This is my body, Jesus says. It's not just any body. Jesus says, this is my body. Just stop and consider this for a moment. It is 
Jesus' body that he says the bread represents. Jesus' body is unique from any other. There was never any other body like it. There will never again be another body like it. It is a body conceived by the Holy Spirit. It is a body that possessed real deity, a deity that was demonstrated by his wondrous deeds on earth when he walked on this earth and proven again that his body could not be held by the grave. It was this body that Jesus offered. None other, his body he offered. A body especially given and prepared and preserved for us. And it was God's love that ordained that that unique body should be broken. Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Broken. Broken to bear the curse of sin. Broken for sinners themselves. Broken to be a substitute. Broken so that where death was due, life is instead given. Broken just as the original Passover lamb was broken. So that death would pass over and not lay its deathly grip. It was broken. And then we come to those wondrous words that have sounded in the ears of, of God's people for thousands of years as they gather together, just like we are this morning, sitting here in a few moments, holding bread in our hands. I can't, I can't wait to say them. It's broken, not for any other reason than this, broken for you, Jesus says. My body, not anybody, but my body is broken, and it's broken for you. Two simple words that through the ages have rang out the message of God's love to us. There's never a time, I believe, when we should be more struck with the safety and the unassailable love of God for us as when we sit here with the bread in our hands and hear these words, for you. I wish I'd understood this growing up. I've sat around this meal hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. I've never added it up. And I thought, wow, we must, we must be really, really bad. And, and we are really, really bad. But that's, that's the whole point of the love of God, that there's a body given for us. Some people feel, well, we should probably be feeling really guilty right now on the inside and feeling really bad. And of course, we, we do feel our guilt. Our guilt is real. But I believe that there's never a time when we should feel more justified. There's never a time when we should feel more of the sense of love of God for us that has given a body for this very reason, for that exact thing that we do feel. For us. All that we are truly guilty of, a body has been given and broken for that very reason. All that is wrong with you, all that is wrong with me, a body has been given for you, for me. It's broken for us. If God has given something for us, what can stand against us? You've also probably had the experience of giving something that is precious to someone and have used these very same words for you. They're wonderful words, aren't they? Sometimes you can hardly look forward to the opportunity or the time. When the time comes, you've done all the preparations and you get to say, it's for you. And it's one of the most satisfying human experiences that there is to possess something that can be of great worth to somebody, a great benefit to somebody, a great richness for someone. And you're able to say those words, for you. Imagine what was going on in Jesus' mind and Jesus' heart as he was able to say those words, this is my body which is broken for you. 
In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, another account of the story of Jesus, Luke records this about Jesus, that when he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him, and and Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. I've earnestly desired to, to, to eat this meal for you, to be able to say these very words. My body is going to be broken for you. Imagine the joy of Jesus knowing that what all of his broken body would do for these people to whom he spoke and whom he loved dearly. He knew that those words for you meant that all of the love of his Father would be poured out upon them. He knew that these words for you would bring great glory eternally to his heavenly Father. And he knew that these these words for you meant that they would be safe. Eternally. And then he says this, do this in remembrance of me. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. But it isn't the kind of remembrance of a funeral. Again, I wish wish somebody had explained this to me. And you, you might even disagree with me. I don't know. But I don't think that it's intended to be the remembrance that we come to as a funeral where we're supposed to, on the inside, feel some sort of a pity or or sorry for Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus. You know that nobody took his life from him. He's not to be pitied because his will was violated. No, this is a different kind of remembering. We eat because we do so quickly forget the very thing that is to be at the center of our thinking in this world. The love of God for us. And we forget. I forget. The Bible often speaks of spiritual amnesia and forgetfulness. Many of you would know Psalm 103 that says, Forget not all of his benefits. The Apostle Peter, when he introduces his words in 2 Peter, when he, when he's just, he says about the things that he's about to write, he says, You already know all of this, but I'm writing so that you don't forget. And so Jesus stands at the table and he says, you will know all of this, but I want you to do it over and over and over again because you will forget. I don't want you to forget. And Proverbs 4, 5 explains exactly what the Bible means when it says, do not forget. Proverbs 4, 5 says, do not forget and turn away from my words. Do not forget and turn away from my words. Spiritual forgetfulness is to turn away from the things that we know to be true. We don't literally forget that Jesus died. When I read the story this morning, none of you went, oh yeah, I've forgotten that. Jesus died. We don't literally forget that. But it means that we forget how God has loved us so in his son. And it's Evident in our lives and the way that we live sometimes. We, we, we're forgetting when we look for love and identity in all the wrong places. And believe me, we're looking for love and identity all the time. We do forget. Our forgetfulness is seen in our insecurities. Our forgetfulness is seen in our fears. Our forgetfulness is seen in our sins. Every time that we're full of fear, we're forgetting something. Every time we are insecure and defensive, we're forgetting something. 
Every time we choose sin over righteousness, we're forgetting something. And so Jesus says, I want you to do this. Don't forget. You have a body that is given for you. You have a meal, a body that demonstrates the love of God for you by being given for you. Let's pray that God would help us to remember. Would you please pray with me? Great and mighty God, and I pray that something of your great love for us would roll over us this morning, even as we eat as our Lord commanded. We give thanks for this meal. We give thanks for all that it represents. Remind us again, O Lord, your deep, faithful, profound, everlasting, sufficient, eternal love for us. Lord, not just naturally in our mind, in our intellect, but in the power of your spirit, I pray, that you would, with your secret hand dwelling in us, make it to search out every part of our thinking in our life. Help us even as we eat. For Jesus' sake, I pray. The bread will be distributed as the men in accord sing.
It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness. And he shall bear their iniquities. Thank you, almighty God, for such a body.
there's a sense of real satisfaction that comes from being at a service like this and to be reminded that um, we can rest, that we can rest in what God has done for us. I was reading this morning four things that never say enough in the book of Proverbs, and one of the things that never says enough is shoal or death. And we know that to be true because all of us will one day die, and yet there seems to be this persistent pursuit of a fountain of life. We uh, look throughout culture in various ways at how we've tried to uh, find it, how we've tried to uh, uh, eat it, how we've tried to uh, take a diet or a cleanse or a herbal, uh, herbal, herbal remedy or some sort of way that will extend our life, if not for a good many years, maybe even into eternity. It reminds me, or it, it, it fascinates me, that even researchers now have been moving away from uh, some pool in a jungle or some herbal remedy, and they're trying to find the key now to extending life to our genomes. And in order to edit out the bad stuff and just leave the good stuff there so that we will live forever and ever. We know that all of these pursuits will fall short. We know that there is no nectar of the gods, so to speak, that if we can just find it, if we can just drink it, we will live forever. Or is there? Do we not know something which promises us physical life forever? Are we not aware of something that, should it be applied to us, will give us a clear conscience forever? Do we not know something that if we drink will justify us and make us right with God forever? Do we not know something that will make us uh, eternal both now and forevermore? We do. It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the fountain of life. And as Paul says in the Bible, as he continues to instruct the Corinthians on the Lord's table, he says, in the same way, giving thanks, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, this table is for me. It is not about me. This table is about Jesus Christ. It's about his blood. It's about what he has done for us. It's about what he has secured for us. It's about what he has accomplished on our behalf. And it's an amazing reality as we think about that, that we're reminded, and, and, and we need to remember this, that this is not a memorial celebration. In part, it's a reminder that Jesus died, but Jesus is alive, and he continues, and Paul continues to remind us that we take of this meal until Jesus comes again. And so we'll remember what he did for us in his death. We remember that he was raised from the dead, and we'll think about that in a couple of days, but uh, even the Lord's table tells us that this is a temporary meal. And it will be made a full banquet when Jesus comes again. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. One of the songs that we often sing around here is, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All of my life, all of my hope, all of my um, eggs, so to speak, are in one basket. They're in the basket of the blood of Jesus and what that has accomplished for me. 
There's a beauty in this table in that it, it, it turns the focus to Jesus and it says, all that I need, all that can ever be done for me has been done. I can't work for anything. I can't earn anything. I can't buy anything. Everything I need for life and for a pure conscience is found in what Jesus has done for, done for me in his life and in his death. The juice is simply a symbol of the blood of Jesus. And Luke tells us that that blood was poured out for us. It's a reminder that Jesus died for us, that he took our place, that he substituted his life for our life, that his blood was shed for me. His blood was shed so that I could be cleansed, so that I could be brought into the family of God, that I could be redeemed, that I could forever be one of God's children. And when we gather at this table, we take of the benefits of that. I was thinking of this as Pastor Barry was speaking. When we gather together and we pray for a meal, sometimes it's such a, a quick prayer and we say, thank God for this meal, and then we dive in and we start eating. But do you understand that when we actually pray that and you think that through, what are we thanking God for? Well, we're thanking God for all that comes to us to, in that meal, that God is the one that sends the rain that makes the grasses grow, that God is the one that makes those grasses grow in the fields, that God is the one that provides this incredible variety that we have in the ocean, on the land, that all the meats that we have, it's because God superintends and guides this world for us so that when we sit down for a meal, we say, thank you for this food, but behind it are all the things that God has done to bring us that meal. And there's a sense in when we gather around this table, if we just eat a piece of bread and drink from the cup and say, thank you, God, it's such a shallow approach to thinking about this meal. Rather, as we participate, we should begin to think, well, what are the benefits that have come to me, that accrue to me because of what Christ has done? Well, let me just share a few of the benefits of the blood. The blood of Christ is a precious blood because it has redeemed us. It has bought us back. It has secured our safety. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from the forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, blemish or defect. When you take of this cup, you think about your redemption that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, set free, bought, secured forever in an eternal covenant with God. Ere since by faith I saw this stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love. There it is, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When you drink of this cup in a few moments, remember that this blood, this precious blood, has secured your redemption. Christ's blood brought the church. It, every one of us here who is a child of God, we did not pay our dues to get in. It's not because we were born into the right family and our parents are part of the church, so we're part of the church. It's not because we've worked hard enough and long enough, so we're part of the church. It's because the blood of Christ has bought our membership, so to speak. The gospel says, be on guard for yourselves as he's talking to elders. For all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. 
All of us today who are in the body of Christ are in the body of Christ solely and only because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed ones of God be saved to sin no more. As you drink this cup, remember that you are in the body of Christ because Christ gave his life and shed his blood for you. Do you understand when we drink this cup that we give thanks because this blood is a cleansing blood? It deals with our consciences. There is nothing in this world that can bring ease to your conscience, that can purify you from your sin, except the blood of Jesus. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer can sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more would the blood of Christ do through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Or as John says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Have you ever tried to make yourself clean? Something's happened to you or you've done something and you go into the shower even and you scrub and you scrub and you put soap on you no matter how much you scrub and no matter how much soap you put on you, you can't clean your soul? Have you ever done something and recognize that deep inside of you, you feel the weight of guilt. And so you try and do 50 Hail Marys. You try and mow the lawn for your parents 20 times. You, 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 you try and empty your piggy bank and give it all in the offering, and yet you still have that guilty conscience. Do you know that only the blood of Jesus applied to your conscience can cleanse you and purify your soul? Do you know that the blood of Jesus reconciles us to God? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin because people are made right with God when they believe in Jesus Christ sacrificed his life by shedding his blood. We are made right with God. We are bought into a, brought into a relationship with God because of this blood. Not because of anything you can ever do, not because of the lineage that you have, but because of the blood of Jesus. And if you call God your father, it's because Jesus' blood has been applied to your life. You know that the blood gives us access to the father? It's a regular thing that, that we who call ourselves Christians do. We cry out to God. We walk into God's presence. How do we get there? Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. The blood can save the soul, heal the sick, mend the heart. This blood can give you access to the very throne of God. And so as you partake of this juice today, you remind yourselves that it is the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone gives you access to your father it's the blood of jesus that gives us eternal redemption this cup is the new covenant in my blood it's a, a relationship that has been established with between us and god forever because of the blood of jesus that has secured it for us 
And whenever we drink this blood, we are reminded that we are in a eternal relationship, an eternal relationship with God. Not because of anything we've done or will ever do or can ever do, but because of what Jesus has already done in shedding his blood for us. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in this whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, then he is all my hope and stay. It's amazing as we gather. This is freeing, is it not? So many of us are driven to try and do things ourselves, to try and clean things up ourselves, to try and atone for our sins ourselves, to try and identify with Christ ourselves, to try and have a relationship with God in the stuff that we do, and we know that we fall short all the time. But in the blood of Jesus, all of that is taken care of. It's all been done. So as you partake of the cup today, I want you to do it with a heart that's just full of thankfulness. And as you thank God, reflect on one or two or three of the things that the blood has done for you. But I also want us to rest. Aren't you tired of trying to work off your stuff? Aren't you tired of trying to work out your stuff? It's all been done by Christ. Rest in the finished work of Christ on your behalf. Father, so we come before you now and we give thanks for the blood of Jesus Christ. For all that has been accomplished for us. And Father, even by explaining these five or six things, we're, we're just scratching the surface because it's hard for any of us to comprehend the vileness of our sin. It's hard for any of us to comprehend the stain on our consciences. And yet we do know what it's like to have our sins blotted out, to have our conscience cleansed. And so as we come before you today and as we remember our Lord's death and particularly now his blood that was shed for us, Give us thankful hearts and help us rest in what Christ has accomplished for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.